0: Hello and welcome back to Caught Looking, a baseball podcast hosted by myself, Max Greenfield, and my co-host, Ryan Garcia. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great.
1: Uh, you know, we got playoff baseball in Binghamton. I'm very excited. Uh, you know, everything's kind of sorted out with the seedings and who plays where. Game one will be in Binghamton because Binghamton was the second half champion. Games two and three in Somerset because Somerset was the first half champion and overall had the best record in the, both the first and second half combined. Um, we're going to get to, see, I'm going to see like Christian Scott with like a 30% strikeout to walk rate versus like Drew Thorpe maybe. And that'll be a lot of fun. Like those are two really good pitchers. They have stacked lineups. That'll be fun too. It's always fun. like double A is a fun level because it's not, you're not close enough where like you're going to be called up tomorrow or anything like that, but it's close enough that by like the end of the next year, or by the end of that year, if you're early enough into the year, you're going to see some guys who are future major leaguers. Like I got to see Everson Pereira. He's a major leaguer, but um, you know, if you got to see, uh, I, I mean, we're going to be talking about, I guess, Wyatt Langford at some point, if you just saw White Wyatt, Landf- Wyatt Langford last week, you might see him in the playoffs this year. So we'll see. Um, It's, it's a fun level. It really is a fun level. And I encourage people to go support your local minor league teams.
0: Uh, so yeah, that's my message for now. Yeah. Always support the local minor league teams. Uh, It's, it's, I grew up in Sacramento. So third week in a row mentioned in Sacramento, let's go. I'm on fire with this. Uh, You know, the river cats, I don't know if you know anything about like minor league stadiums or anything, but like that stadium is awesome. They have like a grass berm in the right field section. Um, it's super, super nice. They have a good outlook of the city from there. Um, I'm currently in Charlotte and the Knights have a pretty nice stadium too. It has, you really get to see like the downtown Charlotte in the backdrop. Like if you aren't a fan of baseball, just go because there's some like cool sites at some minor league parks. Like you get to see some really cool things. Also, you should go because it's really cheap. Like the food is cheap, the the tickets are cheap, and again, you never know. Like you might watch or get an autograph from some guy who's going to be hitting forty home runs a year or have a sub three ERA or something, or save thirty five games if that's what you are into, or have like a seventy percent ground ball rate because that's what I am into. Uh, like like a <laughs>
1: you 2% don't know, percent walk rate, no walks. Yeah. You know the, the Logan
0: the Logan webs of the world. Um, yeah, I mean it, minor league baseball is absolutely awesome. Um, today we're going to discuss a couple of different things, but we're going to discuss at first what we kind of hinted at with at our episode with Jarrett Slyther, which was a great episode, really, really fascinating discussion on prospects. And if you haven't listened, I really do recommend going in there and listening to it. Um, Heim Bloom was let go by the Red Sox uh this past week. Um, the ownership group of the Boston Red Sox basically said they're trying to win World Series, um, and they did not feel that Heim Bloom was capable of creating a team that could do that. Uh, Their reaction to this has been universally not praised, I guess would be putting it nicely. Uh, Panned, hated, torched. Whatever negative word you can think of is how you could describe this trade, uh, this not trade, this firing uh, that the Red Sox have made. So basically to kind of recap for people who might not remember or don't know the situation, Dave Dombrowski was the former president of baseball operations of the Boston Red Sox. And he was brought in to basically win a ring at all costs. Like did not matter. The farm system didn't matter. The payroll didn't matter. He just needed to win a ring. Obviously he was successful in 2018. The very next year, the Red Sox took obviously a noticeable step back because they got a lot of career years out of guys that are, let's be honest, not really all that good. Um, And, You know, they took a noticeable step back. Also, Mookie Betts was, well, still very good, not the MVP level, right? Um, And so they got rid of Dombrowski in September uh, of that year against the Yankees. Ironically, the same time that they got rid of Bloom. So if you're the president of baseball operations in 2027 playing the Yankees, you better start sweating. Um, So they, they got rid of Dombrowski because the payroll was extremely high. The farm system was really bad. And the Red Sox future looked all of a sudden pretty bleak. Then in that offseason, a couple of things happened. One, the Astro scandal came out and they lost their manager for a year. Uh, it was unexpected. It was unsure at the time if they were going to bring Alex Korb back at all, but that was the first domino. Then Heim Bloom comes in and ownership basically tells him you either have to work out a team friendly deal with Mookie Betts or you trade him. Um, a team-friendly deal for Mookie Betts was never going to happen. There's a couple of different reports on it and everything of whether or not he was actually offered a deal. I think he probably was. I just don't think he took it, and nor should he have. Like, obviously, it worked out for him. But as soon as he wasn't going to take the deal, Haim Bloom had to find a way to trade him. Now, depending on who you ask and other things, there are rumors that maybe Haim tried to include David Price on his own whim. Highly doubt that. Like, I'm pretty sure that came from ownership. And Bloom traded Price and Mookie Betts to the Dodgers, as we all know. And now Mookie Betts won a World Series with the Dodgers, is looking to win an MVP with the Dodgers and try to lead them back to the World Series. They've been incredible since they've gotten Mookie Betts, been best team in baseball. Um, and the return for Mookie Betts and David Price has not been good. Um, Jeter Downs is no longer with the team. So there's one. Uh Connor Wong is just just okay as a catcher, I guess. Like he's he's fine. He, he's not he's nothing special. Like he's nothing to write home about. Um, and Alex Redugo, who was considered to be like the big piece in the trade, has been again just okay. He's he, he's fine. He's not not great, he's not bad, he's just fine. Um, so now you could critique Haim that he didn't get enough back in, in return for Mookie Betts, and maybe that has some credence to it. But I do think that's a little bit of like hindsight bias. Like at the time, I thought the return, maybe a little light, was fine. Like they were trading Mookie Betts, one year of Mookie Betts and a salary dump of David Price. The return was never going to be anything crazy. It just it just wasn't. Could it have been better? Absolutely. Then in 2020, the Red Sox stink. But Himes drafting well, slowly rebuilding the farm system. Uh, 2021, they have a great year, win 92 games, make the postseason, get to the ALCS. We're up 2-1 in the ALCS. Uh, and then, but again, Haim kind of continues to keep slowly building up the farm system. And then, the, what's, what's interesting about 2021 is instead of ownership then pivoting and going for it, they just kept telling Haim to continue to cut payroll, not go for it. And obviously, the 2022 team wasn't very good. All they did was sign Trevor Story. 2023 team not very good again didn't really make any big financial commitments anywhere Uh, they let bogarts walk they did sign devers to an extension um, which was much needed but basically they brought him in to you know lower the payroll build up the farm system which is now in my opinion a top 10 farm system and he did both those things and his reward was getting fired I I mean, that's pretty much the whole timeline there. And if you're as confused as we are, welcome to the rest of the world. It makes no sense. I don't understand why they did this.
1: Yeah, when dude, when when HVT is criticizing the Red Sox over a move, you really messed up. Like when everybody, like it's not just everybody, it's everybody and Red Sox fans. Everybody and people who are optimistic about the Red Sox are like, this doesn't make sense. And my big thing is for the... Ownership group of the Boston Red I think it's 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 FSG, right? Fenway Sports. Yeah, group? yeah, FSG. something like that.
0: Fenway Sports Group.
1: Right, like you brought Heim Bloom in to cut costs, and he what? did that.
0: Correct. He succeeded he, what you brought him in to do.
1: Right. You brought him in so that you could reset your franchise. What like at what point did the did the ownership group do enough or or provide the green light for Heim to do something? to put the Red Sox in World Series contention. They overperformed in 2021. They weren't supposed to be that good. I understand that it's a letdown when you don't perform as well as you did in the year prior. And I'm not excusing everything that happened in 2022. But 2022, they had a lot of injuries kind of the same situ- not the same situation as 2018 because they won the World Series that year but a lot of guys who were very good weren't as good most notably you have guys like Kike Hernandez who hurt not as good the pitching staff was a little more injured injured and not as good right like they weren't getting the same production um, out of the rotation it was a very bad rotation a very bad pitching staff and the ALEs played a little bit better as well the Yankees were very good that year I know the Orioles the, not the Orioles the Rays took a step back but they were still a playoff team the Orioles were competitive that year the Blue Jays were a playoff team that year as well it was a t- Tough AL East. 2021, also a tough AL East, but Orioles were kind of so, – there was no clearly – They weren't there team. yet, yeah. Yeah, they were horrible in 2021. The Orioles were a punching bag. You could beat up on the Orioles for free wins. You couldn't do that in 2022. Um, and, again, not an excuse. You should – I understand being disappointed that you didn't make the playoffs or didn't finish above 500. But then answering this year, this year, what were the expectations? You're going to be all right, take a step forward, um, build up the farm, try to win in 2024. And that's what they were doing. Um, oh well, they didn't buy. Well, that was this wasn't a market for a team that wasn't sure about themselves to buy. Now, should they have sold on some guys? Maybe. Like, should they have traded James Paxton? You could argue that. Like, I, I think you could, you should say you could say yes to that. But the year prior, when they traded all their when they traded Christian Vasquez, right? They, they kind of sold a little bit. They also did a little bit of buying, but nothing crazy. Um, what happened? Bogarts comes out and says, "Oh, you know, well, uh, you know, trading Vasquez was so it was hard on the clubhouse, this and that. Um, you know, the media." just absolutely slammed boom boom uh boom Boom for making that trade and it ended up turning out really well for them wilmer bray looks pretty good emmanuel emmanuel valdez i'm not sure about but like he's a lottery ticket that you would 100 take for half a year of christian vasquez who mind you didn't start on the astros because martin maldonado was still starting so overall like i'm not really sure what's the direction heim failed to take that like ownership wanted him to take i'm maybe i'm not seeing it without the financial commitment Right. And, and everyone's like, well, the, the report about Chris Sale that just came out. I, I'm going to, I'm not sure how hot of a take this is. You trade Chris Sale away because you don't have money and you're a low market team th- or a small market team. That type of team that says, Chris Sale, we're going to sell low on you. We just need to get the money off the books. Like we just, we need to get it off the books because a team like the Texas Rangers who have a lot of money will eat that money, give you nothing for it and take that lottery ticket because they have a lot of money. The Boston Red Sox are a big market team. They are the team that should be saying, well, hey, look, we have to get rid of Chris Sale's contract. It's, you are the Boston Red Sox. You can afford to have the lottery, t- expensive lottery ticket in Chris Sale and still go out and acquire quality starting pitching because you're the Boston Red Sox. You can do that. You have money, right? Imagine if it came out that, I mean, imagine if it came out that like the Yankees were trying to move Stanton and they refused to like sign a single player in the off season unless they moved Stanton to help their offense. That would go poorly. really, really poorly. It would not look good. That's essentially what they were. That's essentially what they did with the Sale thing. Hey, we're not gonna throw out big bucks for a starter. We'll like sign Chris Sale or whatever, uh, not Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, or whatever, because we can't move the sale contract and we don't want to spend more. That's disastrous, right? I, I don't like the problem with the Boston Red Sox is that they can't spend enough to make uh, kind of expedite the farm system process because typically developing a farm and getting it to where it needs to be to win a title takes about three or four years we're in year four next year is a theoretical year where they're supposed to make the postseason I don't understand why the guy who is the the architect for that farm system doesn't get a shot to then make them that playoff team and now you kind of fear that the next guy who comes in is going to have pressure to make that big deal because they know their job is going to be on the line in about three or four years if they don't like I Even if they do. Even if they do, right. That's another thing. Dabrowski did what they wanted, fired. Bloom did what they wanted, fired. Like if you're- Why would you take that job if you're an
0: executive? You know that it's a limited thing.
1: If you're the next GM of the Boston Red Sox, you know two things. Number one, in four years, your job could be up even if you win a World Series or do exactly what they do, what they ask you to do. And then number two, you have to make a big splash. You you do not like- GMs don't like to be forced to make a big move. There's a re- Like I know people don't like that. But if you force yourself to make a big move, you start playing a lot more of an A.J. Preller role than you do a good executive role. And that's when things get scary. When you're – like the the podgers like, oh, we got – you know, we didn't sign Turner. We're trying to, like, throw every money, every dollar we can at Judge. Like, we couldn't get out of these guys. Screw it. Just throw it at Bogarts. And that's when we end up with Xander Bogarts on a terrible contract, right? Like, you can't. You can't bring in a GM and say you have to make a splash. No exceptions. It has to happen right now. You have to you, you, like, you have to win a World Series in the next two years. If you do yeah. that, they're going to blow up your franchise. Like, you have to be okay with the next 10 years after being horrible. And you can't guarantee a title either. It's baseball. It's, this isn't the NBA. Like, yeah. you can't. I mean, maybe, maybe I'm being a little bit too like critical of ownership here, but, but Max, like, you have a better understanding of this than myself. You can't just guarantee
0: a World Series title, right? Like, that doesn't happen it doesn't it's like my fear is as you said like if they're dissatisfied with the job bloom did then they're gonna fire somebody who's not like bloom which is risky extremely risky because if you do bring in somebody that's not like bloom there's a good chance that like roman anthony gets traded for somebody who definitely is not worth roman anthony like you know, if they trade for Corbin Burns and Roman Anthony is a part of that deal, that's a disaster. Like just being honest with you right now, if they trade Marcelo Meyer again for a pitcher, chances are that that pitcher is probably not worth it. Um, Yeah. I That's, that's where I'm at with the Red Sox. Like it just depends on who they hire for it to like age slightly better. But This is... I mean, yeah, it's bad. It's a disaster in terms of like PR optics and everything like that. He did everything you wanted. He did everything you wanted. You can't... And again, the Red Sox have won titles when they're top three in payroll. They've done nothing when they're not. That's just the... The Red Sox have only been good when they spent money. Which maybe that's a good point about how like you need to spend money at least enough to be good and consistently good. But like, we... You didn't spend money. What do you want Bloom to do? Like,
1: and another thing too, like, I understand someone's going to, I imagine that there's somebody listening to this who could be thinking, well, why do I need the third highest payroll to win a world series? Like the Rays don't have the third highest payroll and they win a lot of games. And so that I would series, say, though. let's, let's be real here. Like I said, the Chris sale contract, Bloom didn't give out that contract, right? No. There there is a lot of money that are that is on the books of the Boston Red Sox that had been either in 2020 or 2021 or 2022 or this year that wasn't money that Heim Bloom gave out. So if he if he has like okay he inherits like because he inherited a very high payroll in 2020 and then you have to slash payroll and then within the next four years spend enough or create enough budget with your budget cuts to what go up to the 11th highest payroll and try to win a World Series. It's not happening. Like, even if you go on a miracle run, which it is possible, don't get me wrong, that 2021 team could have hypothetically won the World Series, don't get me wrong. But if you're putting your, like, I, I thought this quote by Steve Cohen was excellent. You don't bet on hope. You don't bet on, like, we'll just go on a miracle run, right? Like, we'll just. Yeah, it's not a, stra-
0: not a val- valid strategy, right? Yeah.
1: And when teams try to do that, when teams, like, we just hope that this is going to go well for us, even though it's likely not going to, they have disaster seasons. The Yankees are like, hey, I hope Josh Donaldson turns it around. It's not likely, but hey, I hope it happens. Disaster. Third base has been a disaster for them, right? Uh, look at the Astros. Hey, I hope like, it's probably not a good I idea. I hope Jose
0: Abreu plays well.
1: Yeah, but hey, I mean, I mean, I look. I hope it, Martin
0: it, Maldonado still isn't terrible.
1: Right. Or like, hey, I hope that Dusty Baker's smarter than James Click. It's not likely, but I hope. And it, it's blown up on them. And And even if you want to look at examples like the Mets, like, the, you know, I think this is another parallel he like hey well they spent a bunch of money and they stink well number one they, they didn't they banked on a lot of things that like hey justin berlin he's just gonna be healthy and not break down over the age of 40 max scherzer he's there's no signs of decline here he'll be fine he won't like run into injury issues he won't like like when you get hurt you're You banked
0: stands. on 240 and 39 year old pitchers to still be good right whiskey strategy and just not just still be good, be
1: as good and be healthy and you banked yeah you give know,
0: you 180 innings like that's just yeah, like, Some hey, I would say that's a bad strategy.
1: <laughs> yeah. And they learned from it, sold, and they said, hey, you know, we're going to emphasize the farm. And they didn't just fire Billy Epler. Like, you could have, you actually had enough reason, you to, had fire reason to fire Epler. Billy Epler. Yeah. But and I Southern think kept him. He's still and, there. And I think it's a smart move because, like, you don't want, I don't think the precedent you want to send is Steve Cohen is going to just start reeling and dealing with fires. If, like, if you have one bad year, fuck everybody's fine. Right. Like, you, you can't. You can't you know, build that just,
0: reputation
1: yeah this is a human th- there are humans involved here you can't just ask a guy to move to new york and then in two years fire him like if you do yeah. that every like if you even at three year, every three four years are firing an executive and it's like boston's you know hey boston is just like some city you can just pull up in with no money and you can find housing and all that stuff now i'm like hey i probably moved somewhere close to boston thinking i'm gonna be here for a while because my job is to develop the farm and then i don't know where it's hey you're fired like Not not saying it's not an attractive job because there is a lot to like, like if there is that green light to spend and they have a really good farm, there are things to like in that job. But if you want financial security or you want security that your kids are going to stay in the same place for three or four years, maybe don't go to Boston.
0: Speaking of the Mets, though, they made headlines this week because the thing that we have all thought was going to happen and we're just waiting to happen did actually happen. David Stearns was hired by the, uh, Steve Cohen to become the new president of baseball operations at a five year, $50 million contract, tying him with Andrew Freeman for the highest paid executive in all of baseball. Um, this was, as I just said, this had been rumored for a long time. People expected this. Um, people were, you know, fully waiting for this deal to happen and everything. It had been rumored for years. Now it is. Obviously, as we just said, the Mets have put David Stearns in a pretty good position uh, to succeed because their farm system went from probably bottom of the barrel to, I'd say, close to top of the pack, not like top five. But, you know, you could probably say it's like 12th, 11th, 13th, kind of in the same tier as the Yankees, maybe a little bit worse or better, depending on how you view things, but in that kind of area. Uh, Stearns is known for being obviously the head of baseball operations of the Milwaukee Brewers and doing a lot of very successful things with the Brewers. As Jared Seidler said, they did a lot of things well. They did nothing really poorly. Um, Stearns now has basically an unlimited budget to do what he thinks is best. Um, Stearns is a very, very smart guy. Uh, again, had a lot of success in Milwaukee. The question you kind of have to ask yourself is again, he's inheriting a fair amount of bad contracts, like just money that's not really going to go anywhere. He's also inheriting, you know, a Pete Alonso situation that is, you know, kind of murky a little bit. It's unclear, um, you know, his future of the team and whether or not they should pay him. Uh, He's also inheriting a player development system that hasn't really pumped out a pitcher in, well, since Jacob deGrom. Um, So... Yeah, you have some questions about what David Stearns is going to be able to do. I think this is a tremendous hire, though. In reverse of Hein Bloom being a terrible fire, this is a tremendous hire. Uh, Stearns, as I just said, he's brilliant. Very, very smart guy. Also, I have heard many people say he's extremely nice and very easy to work with. Jarrett said like teams loved dealing with David Stearns, loved making trains with him. I've heard similar things that people really like talking with him and working with him. Um, And the Mets kind of need that, you know, like they've had some turmoil in their front office and some not so nice things said about their front offices in in previous years and everything. So, yeah, this is definitely needed. Uh, I am excited to kind of see what he does. I think he's very creative. He got very creative in Milwaukee. I'm just curious to see the kind of tangible changes he makes. What do you think the Mets really need to improve on? What does David Stearns need to do to show like, all right, the Mets are definitely on the right track?
1: Well, number one, I think that, you know, good player development, you want to improve those uh, those assets or facets of your farm system. Look, I'm biased because I, I am involved with the A team. They are very fun. Like the, the deadline, after the deadline, that team has played a lot better. They have a lot of really good pitching prospects down there. Blade Tidwell, uh, Dominic Hamill, Christian Scott, who I, I mentioned a little bit in the open. Um, I'm definitely forgetting somebody, but, uh, they have some guys like they, they definitely have, uh, Oh, Tyler Stewart's another guy. Uh, I don't want to forget him, but they have a lot of really good pitching prospects down there. Drew Gilbert's obviously, you know, that's a, a really good prospect to have top 100 guy. Same with Luis on Acuna though. He got off to a little bit of a slower start having, cost controlled players or you know even if they're just guys you trade or, or guys you plug in here or there it makes it so you don't have to take expensive gambles in the offseason right um the mets had to like they have to take expensive gambles because they didn't have a lot in place when when steve cohen came it took over they didn't have a lot in place in the farm system they kind of just had to spend over all their problems you know we need a shortstop let's trade for lindor good move by the way very good move not like criticizing that move but that is you have to you have to trade for lindor Then you have to take the gamble of a Max Scherzer. You have to take the gamble of a Justin Verlander because you don't have those pieces currently in place. The infrastructure to develop these kinds of players don't exist. That means you do make the Darren Ruff trade because you don't have a guy in in your system who can handle left-handed pitching. That means you have to go out and, you know, you have to trade for Javier Baez because you don't have anybody internally and give up a PCA type. and, And now that trade looks bad, right? Like, you, you have to make bat or risky gambles or gambles that likely will result in, you know, you ending up on the short end of the stick because you don't have the internal talent or you don't have the, the infrastructure to develop the guys necessary to help you out at the major league level. You can't always, like free agency, you can't always find what you're looking for in free agency. And then you can't guarantee that teams are going to make the trade you want, right? So you have to be able to develop these guys internally. If they do that, they're going to be very good. Imagine a Mets team that has good player development and a ton of money. They're just like, I think Jared said this, that's just the Dodgers, right? Like that's essentially what the Dodgers are. Hey, great player development. And we have a ridiculous sum of money and more so than the Dodgers. Like Steve Cohen's shown he is willing to spend a ton of money. But I also think if you're Steve Cohen, like at some point that luxury tax is going to come back and haunt you and you're going to want to get under it. And in the year where you get under the luxury tax, you don't want to suck. So look at the Dodgers. They wanted to go under a couple thresholds and they ran away at the NL West, and they could win the World Series. And they're probably the second best team in baseball. Like, you know, like they're, ridiculous right that's the type of thing you want to be able to do even in 2018 i believe didn't they like trade alex wood and matt they traded for like the contract of matt kemp they tried to like reshuffle some of their money around and they were very good that year they won the pennant like i that's the type of stuff i guess the mets are aiming to achieve and i think they can i think david stearns is the guy to do it um but that's all about player development infrastructure and also like they can invest through minor league systems they can say hey you guys never have to worry about housing. You guys never have to worry about meals. You guys, we're going to pay for, you know, your, your nutrition plans and all that stuff. Because Steve Cohen's loaded. So they have a huge financial advantage. Now it's just a player development side of things.
0: I agree with you that like the the biggest growth we need to see is in player development. So the Mets, you know, the Mets haven't developed a pitcher in a while, but something that they have done is they hired the right people to try and potentially do that. So Eric Yeagers is their director of pitching. That's a great hire. Yeagers is young and considered by many one of the smartest people in terms of pitching minds in the entire industry, driveline guy, Kyle Bodie speaks very high of him. And they also hired Kyle Rogers, friend of mine and, you know, a guy I consider extremely smart and a good mentor um, to also oversee their, you know, strength and conditioning and uh, sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but integration with pitching and strength and conditioning essentially. Uh, is kind of what he does. He he, you, as I said, used to be the drive line head of performance, and at, ran his own training facility, and still does. Works with pitchers primarily. So those two guys leading the way for your, you know, your minor league pitching side, it's pretty good. Like those are two guys that you definitely want to run. Uh, we haven't seen the results yet, but Rogers has only been there from this offseason, and Yeager's has only been there from a year ago. So just as when the Yankees hired Sam Breen back in 2019. It took about two, three years for them to, like, really start to, uh, you know, be really good at developing pitchers. I would say, like, give it another two, three years to wait to see if the Mets are starting to develop pitchers.
1: Low-key, I would, like, even go as far as to say, like, you kind of see, like, again, I would say I see at double-A level. Dude, Christian Scott sits, like, 96, 97 with, like, good ride on his fastball and a really good slider. He needs a third pitch, but he's insane. Like he's a cheat code down there. He has like a 30%, 33% strike rate and like a 3% walk rate. Look, I know that, you know, we're not going to sit here and and say like, all right, minor league ERA, that makes you good or bad. But when you're striking out, when your strikeouts, a walk rate is 30% or higher, uh, I'm going to pay attention. So he's been really good. Uh, Blade Tidwell's been amazing. I think they, I think Tyler Stewart leads, I know again, not trying to just be an ERA guy here, but he does lead all of minor league baseball in ERA. Like you're kind of seeing at the minor league level a little bit, obviously like you're just like the way I view it is you're a prospect while you're just a prospect while you're a prospect, but there are reasons to believe that you can become a major league player. Like there are reasons you will and won't. And, and again, as you mentioned, you're going to need two or three years because these guys are a, going to have to graduate to major league uh, status and they're gonna have to be trusted enough to get starts. A guy doesn't just come up and become the number three star in the rotation typically, unless you're like a generational prospect. Right. Um, So there's that. And then also the idea of like, Hey, we can like acquire this bullpen guy and like, as the Yankees do, like, hey, we'll trade for Clay Holmes and give you Hoy John Park, and now Clay Holmes is our closer for two and a half years. So, like that, that type of stuff is, is is what I think we're gonna is gonna take two or three years to see. I think at the minor league side of things, we're kind of seeing it already. Maybe I'm a little bit like biased again here, but yeah,
0: yeah, I, I it it just takes some time to to fully see it and everything. But I, I think if you're a Mets fan, there's reason to be optimistic um, that. A, David Stern's is going to hire the right people, and B, that the right people, especially on the pitching side, might already be there. Um, you know, they did they did make some changes already. On the expectation is there will be more. Like, I don't think Buck Showalter comes back. I just also I don't think he should. I got nothing against Buck as a person. He seems like a fine guy, but I just don't think he's really all that good of a manager. Um, you know, I I try to not judge bullpen decisions too harshly. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that we don't know, as you and I have discussed, but He makes just odd decisions consistently. Um, And so I think if you have the uh, uh, ability to, you know, find somebody better, which I definitely think is possible, then I I think you should, you know, try and find a way to move on. Um, Moving on to kind of our, our our final check-in with major league baseball here. Uh, Shohei Otani, the angels announced that he will be done for the year with a, with an oblique injury. Um, the the way it kind of went, happened, uh, it, just sad. Just There's no other way to describe it other than just sad. The night before the announcement, his locker was cleared out. Um, like, everything was cleared out, and nobody said a reason why. The next day, Perry Minison met with the media and said, yeah, he's got an oblique injury. He's done for the year. Um, and just the kind of tone of it all was, yeah, this is it. Like, they'll probably make some kind of effort to re-sign him, but he's gone. I mean, it's just a sad end to his time with the Angels, and it kind of just, it's also a bit fitting, though, right? Like, it is sad, it is poorly done, poorly handled, just like how the Angels have handled his entire career, essentially, like... Again, they lucked into two of the greatest players ever and did nothing with them. Um you know, there are reports that Trout might, you know, if the Angels are open to trading Trout if he requests a trade. I think he probably should. I like I don't know if he will, but I think he probably should. Like I think everybody just I think the Angels need to move on and just go full hard reset and figure it out. And I think, you know, it's probably best for him to try and find somewhere else just to figure it out. Um, it sucks. First of all, Otani still, as you said, Otani could have farted into a mic every day and he would have won. He's still the MVP. He's still far and away the MVP. It is not close. Do not make an argument for Corey Seager. Do not make an argument for Julio Rodriguez. It's Shohei Otani. It is still Shohei Otani, and it will be for a while. I'm sorry. Um With that said, though, like, I don't know. I just, the end of his angel's tenure being this is not what you'd hope for. Um, You know, we said in our first episode, you know, when we did a trade deadline recap and everything, it only ages well if it works and it failed miserably. And so here we are at this, at this moment in time. And it makes me sad. I'm, I feel bad for Angels fans. They don't deserve this. Like, they, they've been pretty loyal to this team. And basically, they kept showing around just to sell tickets at the end of the year. And that's, that's just kind of sad.
1: Yeah. This is a dark, like, very dark day. I feel like an Angels fan, like the Rendon thing was kind of wild too. It's like, oh, yeah, I fractured my fibula. Like, didn't the Angels tell you? It's like, Dude, like this—that's a dude. It's a circus right now. Being a beat writer for the Angels has to be—I mean, un- unironically—being a beat writer for the Angels has to be like not fun, but like at least interesting. Like you're never there's never a boring day. It never. It's, yeah, you. I mean, it, it's, it's incredible. It's
0: entertaining, and not in a good way, but like it's still entertainment,
1: right? And honestly, if like. At, like, what are they gonna do? Fire the GM? Like, who wants to? Yeah. Go? what is How is like, this Perry's what do you fault? Even do like I
0: like exactly what does Perry Minison do with like
1: what is, what is what is the off season like? What is that post? What is that like end of season? Because they've they've they're officially eliminated from the postseason. They're not making it. What does that end of season presser look like?
0: Like, I went for it because our owner said so.
1: Yeah, you can't even do. If you do that, you're
0: fired. You're fired. Like, yeah, you're just you're just trying to lose your job.
1: It's just like dude like you you got to sit there and you just got to answer all these questions just like hey a Shohei coming, coming back we're going to make an attempt. I mean like what are you even are they even going to be that committal what, to like we're going to make yeah, an attempt. Yeah, no,
0: they're just they're, they're just going to say yeah, there's some shit, we'll explore options, we'll talk with Mike Trout, we'll evaluate what, you know, where There's we need no to be.
1: denial of the report either from the Trout thing. Usually like a GM comes out and says, "Oh, come on, what are you guys talking about?" Like, what do you You know what I mean? Like usually No, he basically asked,
0: kind of like was like, "Yeah,"
1: Yeah, like usually reporters, like okay. uh, you know, if a reporter like asked, you know, if a reporter asked, like you know, Brian Cashin, hey, were you really trying to trade Clark Triggs for Andrew? I was like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? He's like, What are you talking about, man? Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you see, internet talk. That's all. That's usually that's what athletes or, you know, anyone that's with a team would say. Oh, I just try like not to pay talk. attention
0: to stuff like that. Is usually, right?
1: What say. Or like if it's a player, usually a joke. Like, hey, like I'm- who cares about social media? It's just all those people that just talk. Like, you know what I mean? Like they'll they'll, they'll do something that like di- dis- kind of puts people away like they either try even if it's true just get people away from the rumor and there wasn't a denial like i just there isn't uh there isn't a great farm there there aren't a lot of attractive jobs there there you moreno is not the type of owner you want to work for um there isn't a lot of i imagine creative liberties as a gm that you can make or take i imagine perry wanted to trade uh otani i imagine that like if you're a gm and your job is you to want win to- baseball games yeah. and keep your job. You're, you're like, hey, I want this team to win baseball games at some point. They could have they probably set themselves up to win it next year. Um, And I'm not starting to sit here and, like, romanticize the idea of trading your best player because you refuse to, to sign them. But you – like, Perry can't change the fact that they're not going to sign him. He can only try to recuperate uh players back. And instead, they bought and they put everybody in the waivers. Like, it's – dude – it's this, diz- and they didn't even get under the luxury tax. Like Randall Grichik's wiping under the luxury tax. That I think they had an man. injury
0: that might have like put them just under
1: oh, somehow. Who? What? They shut somebody down, didn't they?
0: Yeah, I don't remember, but they 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 might be just under the luxury but tax. But even now,
1: even then, it's like, dude, you you traded for all these players, and then you like you traded a pretty good catching prospect. I'm not saying he's a great one. I'm pretty sure Quero is like solid. I'm not saying he's like, you yeah, know, the Adley, but Ruckman. they do have
0: Logan. Oh, O'Hop, Oh, So but it's like
1: you could trade that for a piece that helps you a little bit more. So the guy has multiple user control, do a prospect for prospect swap. Like I remember gallon was traded for chisel that, not that saying that that's worked out the way you want it to for Miami, but it's not a disaster for Miami. I think they're like considering what they need, which is offense. They're happy that jazz is on their team. And yeah. if you're the Diamondbacks, they needed starting pitching. They're very happy. that That gallon's, gallons on their, on team. their team. Yeah. Right. Sure. Like, you know, there are pro there there are you could have done something else with him. You could have done something else with the prospects you traded, you could have gotten different players and you couldn't because you had to buy. You were forced to buy and now you're not in the playoffs again. And you have to explain it to the fans. And if you're the GM, you have to sit there and realize, like, the owner could fire me and nobody's gonna crit- like people can criticize him, but it doesn't change the fact that I'm gonna get fired. It's it's a mess, dude. That whole world. I know that we talked about this pre episode where it's like we're just gonna sit here and say like the same thing we said about the Angels, but it keeps getting worse. Like every, every week it's another, it's, it's another thing. It's as just, an owner, do you just have no shame? Like I get it. You're rich, but like you, like, I don't know. I I I just like Artie Moreno. Like that's pathetic. It's pathetic. Like that's the best way to put it. I just, yeah, that's, that's the best I got.
0: It's just very sad that we've come to this conclusion with the angels that they'll never really be good. As long as he's there, like they don't, they don't spend in the right ways. They don't spend on player development. They're way behind in that regard. Um, they are... I mean, listen. I say this as somebody who wanted to draft uh, Shanwell because I thought the Yankees were a good team to try and make him into something because they're good at what improving what he's bad at, right? Like, bat speed. Like He needs bat speed. Desperately. So, so desperately. But like, he's up right now. Their first round draft pick which you can kind of say is a bit crazy. And he's got great plate discipline. He doesn't swing you know, out of the zone. He doesn't swing and miss a ton. Works his walks. He finds a way on base. But he hits for no power at first base. Like, it's just, again, it's a strange pick when you're not good at developing the thing that he's bad at. Because you're not good at developing anything. What are the Angels known for player development-wise? Kind of nothing. Like, they're just kind of there. Um, And again, will they make the necessary... You hope, like, losing Otani, trading Trout would force Moreno to just, like, look deep into the mirror and go, what change do we need to make to improve things? And the change is you... You'd hope, but that's not gonna happen. He's a rich billionaire. Of course he's not, he doesn't have that kind of knowledge and self-awareness. He's an egotistical maniac. But like it's just it's just frustrating. Like if you're an Angels fan, I feel nothing but sad for you. Like you don't deserve this. Like you deserve to have Shohei Otani and Mike Trout on your team for their entire careers, to win multiple rings, to enjoy playoff baseball, to see some of the big moments with them. And the fact that Otani never even got close, close they finished above 500.
1: Like, they, yeah. never, they never really even fit...
0: finished within 10 games of 500.
1: I mean, they've Ever. never... Shohei Otani's never played a meaningful game in September. Like I know people are like, oh, they never played in October. They've never played a meaningful game in September.
0: Like the You can Yankees... say he's played meaningful games for himself because he's competing for MVPs. Maybe that's fair. But like, what is he... Remember that Mike Trout quote from a few years ago where he's like, I trade all the individual stuff for a ring? I'm sure Otani would feel the same. Like, do I think that's kind of ridiculous? Absolutely. that's a little weird. Like, take the MVPs, man. But, like, I understand where he's coming from. Like, he says that as somebody who is who has 11 postseason at-bats in his career. 11. And he was, from 2012 until his teammate arrived and really took off in 2021, the best player in baseball by
1: far. How many years did the Angels not have the AL leader in wins above replacement since Trout debuted? Or, like, since 2012? Like, that number has to be... I think it's two. It's 2018, and I know 2022 and 2018 are two years. Maybe Maybe, If you want to count 2020, was 2015, like, I'm not counting... Yeah, 2020, I guess, but, like, 2015... Trout led in
0: 2015. I just like dude you could maybe say Harper I guess like but that was you know, but that's America. not even that's not even I'm saying the American League how many times did the no, it No it would just if you want to include 2020 it'd be 2018 2022 oh. and 2020 Trout. if you don't want to include 2020 then it would be 2018 and 2022 it's 2017 2018
1: and 2017 judge oh that's right 20 it's 2017 2018 2020 and 2022 so four years in
0: the last they didn't 11. have the best player in baseball essentially and i they they, they they didn't see a postseason they like, saw one post-season, postseason and they didn't win a
1: single game they lost they got the shit beat out of them by the royals no disrespect to the royals they went to the, to the world series that year I, I get it but you didn't the win a game to the royals they, they, they were they were bad hip like but even then like not, so a, not hate, a game Yeah, i can't i can't stand those Royals. i'm sorry but like i so actually really love those royals teams i don't know they just how they were they, so, they, they, they
0: they they were a carlos you, have play to away, as you said it was so mad. i was what? a 11
1: to 12 year old playing little league oh my god that's that right. you were
0: baseball games so i was, a, I was in, uh, graduating high school
1: yeah so in my and head in it's college. like oh yeah we hit ground balls and steel bases too that's us like yeah dude i started i remember i just start i started stealing bases more just because of that team and it worked like i dude i would like i get a single or a walk second and third base were mine you know what i mean like sick i used to, i miss being fast now i'm yeah. slow but
0: i feel that yeah. uh but yeah i mean the angels they they got walled by the royals in the one postseason that they made trout didn't do much in that series and like you could I guess you could hold that against him if you really wanted to. That'd be silly. But like if you really wanted to, you could. But yeah, I mean it's just it's just sad. It,
1: I'm gonna go as far as to say if you point the angels and this is gonna be the last thing I say because I don't wanna like extend the, we we all kind of I think have the same opinion on their angels, but if you place blame on the for the angels failure on anybody other than the owner, I, I think you're kind of a bootlicker. Like I see, like I don't. I'm not gonna. I don't want to name the exact account name because I don't want to give them the publicity. But there's this one guy who just, like, he just slams Mike Trout for, like, oh, he's injured all the time, this and that. Like, I hope you know that you're why Artie Moreno gets to continue to be the owner of the Los Angeles Angels and why he continues to make a ridiculous profit. He is the only reason the Angels are where they are right now. Any competent GM. Honestly, I'd go as far as to say that Max could get a playoff team out of one of those Angel squads. And that's not a slight to you. I, like, I think the standard for being a GM is extremely high. I don't think just anybody could do it. It's a stressful job, yada, 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 right? It, it's not hard to take a Mike Trout show a tiny team to the playoffs. Their owner did everything he can to make sure they did it. And that's on him and him alone. Oh, Mike Trout only hit like this with runners in scoring position. Now yeah, but Mike Trout's WRC Plus was only 130 this year. Like oh no the horror Mike Trout's only you know like the twentieth best hitter in baseball and not you know by far the best oh gosh the horror like oh my god like he uh, I I can't I I don't know I Artie Moreno he ruined an entire franchise I mean that's crazy
0: yeah I completely agree I don't think I could run the Angels though but anyway, you know whatever um moving on we're actually going to discuss we're gonna we're gonna change Tim's a little bit here you know when we started this podcast our hope was to kind of discuss some things outside of major league baseball and everything. Um, And we haven't really done that yet because, you know, we're still in baseball season and we're definitely going to be something that we expand upon when we move into the off season and everything. Uh, But we're going to talk about what it's like to be a high school baseball player and go through a recruiting process Um, and the recruiting process as a college coach and what's, what it's like and how it's just very different now. So, from my experience, to, to take you back back to the days of 2014 and 2015, you know, kind of relevant and talking about the Angels and the Royals. Um, when I was in high school and high school junior and senior, uh, recruiting was mainly done through camps, which is still where it's mainly done for the upper level Division One schools and everything. They recruit pretty heavily from their camps, um, you know, tournament ball going on the road and, you know, coaches seeing you in person and everything. Uh, And there's still a large chunk of that. As I just said, you know, I spoke to, you know, a UCLA coach last year who, and and, a USC coach. And I've heard from Vanderbilt's uh, from Tim Corbin on a podcast say that like 90% of their recruits still come from those camps. Um, And if you're not sure what those camps are, uh, every school will run basically a recruit camp. Um, and they can invite multiple levels multiple grades and everything like that. It's a bit different now in the sense of if you're not a junior or senior, the school can't actually talk to you. Um, they, they're not allowed to do that anymore. They just implemented that rule this past year. Um, but that's where the bulk of the recruiting comes, which makes sense. I mean, you're going to see that guy right there, right in front of you. He's going to get the chance to perform right in front of you for a couple of days. If you're an offensive player and, you know, pitch on the mound once if you're a pitcher. Um, And then you can kind of go back and check their numbers, check the film and stuff. You know, with social media nowadays, it's definitely a lot easier. But that's where the bulk of the recruiting happens at the bigger schools. Now, there's not a lot of upper tier division one baseball players. (laughs) There's not, it's just the reality of it. So what's it like when you're kind of a fringe guy and how do you go about that process? And so I'm going to talk about this from the coaching perspective in the sense of, you know, I was a junior college coach. Now I coach high school guys. Um, And my whole thought process, and I got it from our head coach, and it was a good good thought process is at the junior college level, you're looking for seniors that profile to be division one players in one to three years, essentially. You know, guys who have skills or are projectable, have some potential to you know if they get bigger faster stronger can turn themselves into division one players and that's what i i still look for i have i've had recruit i had recruit calls yesterday i was just calling some kids you know tell them about our program um and so when you're talking about recruiting if you're the coach you're trying to find the things that separate your program right that make you better so for example, like if I were recruiting Ryan and I were at still at, and I were recruiting him to play at Santa Barbara city college, let's say Ryan is from, I don't know, Ryan pick a part of California you want to be from.
1: You know what? I'm going to say, let's keep on theme. I'm from Anaheim. Stay on You're from Anaheim.
0: Okay. So you're from orange County. Um, So a kid from orange County, you know, not to, not to stereotype, but if you're living in orange County, your parents probably have a decent amount of money. Like it's, it ain't cheap to live there. Um, And so, A place like Santa Barbara becomes a a good destination for you because you have financial capability living there. I feel like I need to say this real quick in the sense of baseball more than other sports, um, finances are a very large part of success. Um, You need to have a certain level of finance to be uh, developed properly, essentially, because it's expensive sport. Like baseball equipment's expensive. The travel stuff is expensive. You know, if you don't have the financial capability, it's gonna be kind of tough. You're gonna have to hope some people can help you out and everything, which sucks. That makes me sad. I I wish it were more affordable, but that's a conversation for a different day. But Ryan's from Anaheim. I would approach Ryan and be like, hey, you've lived in Orange County, you know, your entire life and everything. Have you ever, you know, and I would try to sell him on like what it's like to be in Santa Barbara, to be close to a beach, to go to a great academic institution. Um and to play baseball for a program that's been really good and really good at what it does you know getting guys to the next level right as a coach i have all of those points in mind of how i'm going to hit them and try and convince them to at least hear me out to maybe come on a visit to maybe you know take a zoom call um, and, and just you know see where we go from there as a player you know i think ryan you can help speak to this too i think most players if they're a fringe guy, they're just trying to go to a place where they think they can get better.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I was in a weird situation because so between my brother and I, he, my brother was two years older than me. He went through that, you know, he went through the college recruiting process in the sense of he, you know, at the end of his high school years. Now he had a weird year with senior year because of COVID, um, but he was getting recruited by different schools. I wasn't, I was not a very good, like I, the hand, like I'm completely honestly, was not a very good baseball player. Uh, Was pretty good in middle school, just kind of, Never really took off after that. Kind of stopped caring. Didn't play for my sophomore year because I wanted to start getting into writing. Um, but for my brother, that process was, hey, like he he would go to different camps, different showcases, go throw. But a big thing for us was, you know, uh, academics. Like my my family, they're big on academics, and that and I think a lot of students and a lot of student athletes can speak to that, where it's like either a you're going and as you mentioned trying to get better, or your b you're trying to also make sure academics are in place. My brother, he wanted to make sure he was going to a school that was going to make him better. That he felt like he was going to get innings, he was going to get looks. He, his him getting better was a priority over there. Um, because in high school, that's not always the priority. Wins kind of wins. It's, even at the college level, wins sometimes matters a lot more to coaches than development, right? Correct. And I understandably so. I'm not sitting here saying that a high school coach should be villainized for not figuring out the like backspin on a guy's fastball in high school, right? Like not only do they not oftentimes have the equipment to do that. Well, that's most cases, like 99% of cases. Um, but that's not where the priority is. They're trying, you're trying to win baseball games. Um, but when you're going to college, that shifts a little bit for the athlete. They want to get better. You're go- If you're doing enough to go play college baseball, I think you have a, you, you think in your head, you have a slimmer of a chance to make this either A, at some point, a profession or B, you definitely know it's going to be a profession, but there's at least that chance in your head. For my brother, that process was, hey, he was looking to go to a D2 school so he can go to a school that he can get innings at. Um, I had a couple of friends who did the same thing, either go D3 or D2, even though they maybe could have played at a D1 level because they wanted to play. They wanted to get reps in, wanted to get better, wanted to see college competition. Um, and that was a big priority for my brother. So when he went through that process, going to a school where he knew he could play was a big thing in that. And, and yes, getting better so that that kind of plays into each other playing. You get better. It's hard to get reps in like practice. I feel like you're learning anything. I don't know if that's a unique experience to him or I think it's a universal thing. What do you, what are your thoughts on that?
0: So it just depends uh, as a pitcher. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell you a story about a guy that you like very much. Um, I had a pitcher my first year at SBCC. Um, he, I call him the little lefty um, and he's my guy. I, I love this kid to death. He's I'm I, I have a lot of kids that I really like coaching, but this kid was special, just a special, special individual. Um, He came to us and he was sitting 80 to 81, maybe topping 82, 83 on a good day. Um, And, you know, but he threw a ton of strikes, just just a ton. We didn't recruit this kid, but, you know, this is going to help his recruitment when he moves on from junior college level. Um, He threw a ton of strikes, um, could throw a fastball, a changeup and a curveball. Could throw all of them for strikes. Um, they they weren't necessarily good, but they they were strikes. And at the junior college level, listen, man, that plays like left-handed arm eighty to eighty-two. Like you throw strikes, that's going to play. That's going to be funky. But we were we were at a weird position with our staff with COVID and everything. We weren't entirely sure how many guys we we needed, and so we approached him, and I was very honest, and I said you kind of have two choices. You have a choice of you could be on the roster. I can't guarantee how many innings you're gonna get. We couldn't, as a coaching staff, we weren't really sure. You know, you could throw five innings, you could throw 25 innings. We weren't, we were we had no idea. Um or you could take the year, red shirt, go through the practice and everything, and uh, you know, get stronger, get bigger, get faster, and you know, turn yourself into you know an absolute dude and um and so he thought about it and he looked at me and said you know i've been lacking the velo my whole life like i i want to throw harder that's what i need to do the very next year um hang on, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna pull up his numbers real quick because th- this is how proud of him i am i want to i want to actually read off his numbers His numbers in his first year at the community college level, he threw 79.1 innings, which was tied for first on the team. Uh, He had 71 strikeouts to 33 walks. Um, He had a 3.06 ERA. He only gave up one home run. um, And, you know, again, led our team was second, you know, or tied for first in innings, gave up the fewest amount of runs among our three starters um, and had the lowest ERA amongst our three starters. And this is including his playoff start, which didn't go very well. But also, he was going on four days rest, um, and that was probably a bad idea. But it was a bad situation in the playoff format. And the three C two A was rough, and we just got the short end of the stick. Um, but his regular season, he had a he had a sub three ERA. Um, he was close to you know strike out an inning. Um, you know, had almost a three to one strike out to walk ratio. And first year junior college arm. Absolutely dominated. He also sat 87 to 89, um, was really, really good, and great kid. Went from 80 to 82 to 87 to 89 and could tick it up when he needed it. He could go 84 to 86 for a couple innings and then bump it up to 87 to 89 when he needed it. That was in, you know, you could argue like, oh, yeah, I want to play and want to get reps, but that's not what he needed. He needed to get stronger. He needed to get faster. He needed to throw harder. Now he's turned himself into a guy who you would say is like, yeah, it's like a D two, D three lefty arm. into that's a Division one lefty arm. Like that is a kid. If he were, if he were just taller, not to not. I know Ryan's gonna get upset about this point, but like if he were taller, man, he would get drafted. Like I fully believe that. Um, but you know, he's a great kid. I I love that kid and the amount of hard work he did. So you know. Right. So if you're a recruit and playing is important to you, you might have to go to a level that you might think is a little below you. Like if you think you're a division one caliber player, but there are no D ones talking to you. And you know, if they are talking to you, they're not really offering you any money. Now you can go to a D two and go to a D three, and you can still transfer over to that D one. If you play very well, the transfer portal has allowed that to happen. And it makes it a lot easier. Now you are basically granted one free pass in the transfer portal, which when college baseball starts again, we'll discuss the transfer portal and how complicated it makes everything. But, you know, that's, that's an option for you. If you value getting better, a junior college where you can get stronger and get faster and maybe take a year off might be the best thing for you. That just depends on what you want. And the biggest thing in recruiting is you just got to know what you want. Because if you don't know, you're going to end up in a rough spot. You're going to end up at a place where you're not happy. I've seen it happen a lot. But, you know, I've talked to recruits and they just didn't really know what they wanted. And they ended up going to a place that didn't really fit where they their needs. And next thing you know, they were kind of like, yeah, I'm not really that happy here because they just didn't know what they wanted out of high school. And also, that's tough to know. Like, you're a 17 year old kid. And this decision that you're going to make will affect the rest of your life. Think about that for a moment. Like this is a decision that sets up the rest of your life and you're expected to make it at 17. It's tough. That's tough.
1: Yeah. And I think this might be a little, I might be a little more useful in this conversation in the sense of, so my brother, like, again, he went to a D2 school he stopped playing baseball after his first year there. Like he just kind of like, I'm not feeling this anymore. I don't know if COVID played a role. I imagine it did. Like you just kind of lose an entire year of baseball. The whole world's kind of going to crap. Um, And you're like, all right, like I just, let me just focus on school and get my education, kind of get out of here. Um, And, you know, ultimately like, Maybe like, I I mean, looking like kind of looking back on what I know now, what I've learned from you, what I've learned from just different things when it comes to baseball, like what the decision of like, Hey, should he have gone to a Juco? Like, I, I think another thing too, was like, when you're, when you're going, when you're making that college process, man, like there's that, maybe, maybe this is more of a new age thing with social media and all that stuff, man, nobody wants like, no, you want to go to a school people know, like there's like, so there's that deep down. There that, is that like,
0: part of it. Yeah.
1: And, you know, again, like my brother and I, we, we grew up on like, hey, we want to have a good education on that stuff. Like, you know, hey, go to a junior, like go to a community college, go to a junior college. Like, hey, that's like, hey, that that it's is not the goal. Calling. Right. Like that, you know, I go to community college right now. Like and I have, I take no shame in it because I'm saving money and I get to kind of just take my bat, not, not my bachelor's, my associates at the end of this year, go to a school that's a little more expensive, uh, get my bachelor's, but I, I do it on like less money. Like I'm cool with that. um, And I'm happy with that choice. I'm not sure I-, I wish my brother maybe was able to have the opportunity to be happy with that choice too. Cause I think he was a really good pitcher. Like I, I, w- I was always like, I'm a very competitive person. Like I, it's- especially when it comes to like brotherly stuff, I wanted my brother to know like, Hey, I'm just as good at you at baseball. Deep down. I knew that wasn't the case. Never the case. So much better than me at baseball. Um, And you know, end of the day, like I, I think that, you know those experiences are going to help us because I have now I have two little brothers and now they're going into high school next year. So that process, even if it's not just in baseball, like it, this kind of thing of making sure you make the right decision for college, it applies for anything, not just athletics, it's just like anything in general. Make sure you go to the right school. I have that lesson, my brother has that lesson, and we have that lesson to teach them, right? And I think that's a really important thing. Like, hey, you know, maybe we, if we had to do – like if I had to do over what I have kept playing base in my sophomore year of high school, Would I've tried, you know, focus more on throwing harder and, and trying to get the most out of my lesser than ideal frame, um, we'll, we'll put it at that uh you know sure yeah like but I can't do that number one and number two like that's just not where I grew up with I was a high schooler in 2018 like that's when I started going into high school graduated in 2022 when I was a freshman in high school I did not know what like max effort velocity like what that concept was it's like uh, all right like I'm not trying to throw that hard because I want to throw strikes right like that's kind of what a kid thinks um and you know I think it's a really good point for you to make about being comfortable where you are like you you want to go to a school where you, you, you're 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 honest about your goals. There is no shame. There is. And, you know, if you're a viewer listening to this, let's say you're entering the college process. You are in high school right now. You're not necessarily in that recruiting stage yet, or, you know, you're not making a decision just yet. Be honest about your goals. Be honest about what you want. Be honest about your priorities. Do you want to play baseball? Do you not want to play baseball? Like, or do you want to play that sport, whatever sport it may be in college or not? Like you have to make these decisions. It's kind of tough. to have to make it at an early age, but be honest about what you want, right? Like, even if that changes in a year, fine. Make that adjustment in a year. Like I, I, I spent two years up here. I thought I was going to transfer to Binghamton. I'm not, I'm not feeling it up here. I'm going to transfer to a school in the city instead. I like being home. I like my family. I like being around people I'm comfortable with. It's, it's only right. Like it's, it's different, all that stuff, but just being honest about those things, it's important. Right. Um, And you know, ultimately, first off, I, I you're right. I did really enjoy that story about the little left because like I that, that's been my that, that's your that was, guy, man. That's, that's your my guy. guy. <laughs> like if he's ever listening to this, you're my guy, man. Like you're my idol. You're my idol, man. Like you're my I love you. Like, uh, but in all seriousness, like um, you, you want to make sure that you're making the right decisions for yourself going forward. Um, college is just tricky, like, there's a lot to like you're that's oftentimes too. If you're going to a JUCO or you're you're focusing on athletics, or whatever whatever it may be. This is the first time in your life where you're kind of on your own or you're kind of figuring stuff out and it's you. Like everyone yep. kind of has that unique, that that shared experience of your first week up there. Your parents leave, everything's kind of like, all right. The first semester is just hard.
0: Yeah. No matter, no matter what. Now, like for, for us, it was hard and we weren't college athletes. Imagine if you're a big time recruit, like you're expected to go into UNC to uh, Stanford to, I don't know michigan or great college programs Vanderbilt, right and your first semester away from home you know like it's a little rough it's not going the way you thought and you're supposed to be the guy that's like leading the charge you're a jack lighter right you're a you're a kumar rocker you're one of those guys right um wyatt langford whatever that's tough. Like it's so hard to be away from home for the first time. If, you, if you're if you listening to this and you are a high school recruit, please learn how to do laundry. Please learn how to cook. Those things will help you because the biggest areas that I see first year guys struggle, and I can speak to this now because I have seen it, um, is they don't know what to do during the off time and they don't know how to eat right and they don't know how to lift right. They're not strong enough yet and they're not disciplined enough yet to be a college athlete and you got to learn those skills. If you're a recruit, like you got to understand what it's like, but it's okay to not know because there are people that can teach you and it's okay to fail. Like it's really hard doing all of this. Being a student athlete is really tough. Like there are times and days where it's, it's, it's brutal. You know, you're going to go 0 for three 0 for four with a couple of strikeouts You're going to go three innings and give up a bunch of runs. You're going to blow a save. That stuff happens, man. Like that's part of it. That's part of the grind. But like what separates the guys, what separates the tiers of talent is that the ability to just wipe it away, to move on, makes those guys special, makes those guys what they are. And so at the end of the day, I hope recruits take home that if I were a recruiting kid, I always tell people that our goal at Santa Barbara city college was to have more fun than the other team. At the end of the day, if you're playing college baseball in any capacity, it's fun. Like it's a lot of fun. It's going to be hard. There's going to be tough days and everything, but you know what? You'll remember that for the rest of your life. The rest of the coaching staff, at SBCC, they still hang out and talk to some of their college teammates. Our head coach who played at LMU back in the eighties and nineties, you know, he still, he goes to, you know, events with his guys and everything. He still talks to those guys, man. That was, you know, 30 years ago. Like, that's cool. That's fun. Like that's take that in, like enjoy the process of what it's like to be a recruit. I wanted to, I wanted to talk about this because, you know, there's so much talk about how it's all changed and social media has really driven that. And it, it's true. Like you if you do not have a Twitter account or anything promoting your stuff, you need to get one. It, it helps. It really does. You have no idea who sees your stuff, but trust me, a lot of people do. As, as someone who goes on Twitter and recruits pretty heavily off there. Like it's extremely helpful. Um, It's it's the best thing you can do to help advertise yourself. If, if I were to give recruits any pieces of advice, it would be a couple of things. It would be one, you're your own best recruiter. You're your best self promoter. So promote yourself. Uh, Two, have fun. Make sure that you're having fun with it. Like it's supposed to be a fun process. It's going to be cool. You're going to get talked to people are going to give you attention and it's going to be great and totally wrap and enjoy that process. Three, know what you want. If you want to go to a good academic school and play baseball, look for those schools, seek them out email them, email the coaches there. Uh, if you want to go to a big time power five school, good luck. If you're a high school senior and you are not committed to a power five school right now, just being honest with you, it's not going to happen. They're not going to recruit you anymore unless you take a huge jump. Like if you were, you know, five, eight as a junior, and then all of a sudden you're six, two, and you went from throwing 84 to 86 to 92 to 94. Okay. They'll come talk to you. Like they'll, they'll find a way. Um, So know what you want, right? And then the final point I would probably say is know where you want. Listen, it's cool to live in some places out there, but like there are better college towns than other college towns. So you don't want to live in, you know, the middle of nowhere in Utah. No offense to the state of Utah. I don't think we have any listeners in Utah. And if we do, I'm not sorry. But it's know where you want to live. Like, if you know all of those things and you have all those things in mind, you're going to be well informed. There's a bunch of other little things that I could tell you. In a, but at the end of the day, that doesn't matter as much. The final thing I would say about high school recruiting is if you are, you know, if your parents are still around or your guardians or anything, make sure that you have their support. It's not their decision, it's yours. You're deciding for your future. But having their support. Is important. Like for me, I try to meet with the parents and stuff like that. I try to talk to them because you know, they're a part of the process too. They want to be comfortable with their child's decision. Um, and they should be like, it's there for most of them. They're the one foot in the bill. Like, you know, they're the one paying for it. If, if they're going to someplace out of state or they didn't get a full scholarship and everything, you know, there's processes to it. So yeah, I mean, definitely be comfortable, have your parents support, know what you want, know what you're looking for, you know, have fun with it and be yourself and it'll go really well.
1: Yeah. And you know, ultimately like I, Look, I I can't speak to, like, college athletic experience, and you have more – like, you've worked with college athletes, you've worked with high school athletes. I'm, like, I am a college student, right? Like, I am a year and a half –
0: This is where my experience really, really comes in.
1: (laughs) I'm a year and a half removed from, like, thinking I'm Garrett Cole, walking behind the mound, doing a little squat, father, son, holy spirit, and then getting the shit beat out of me by a a different high school team. Like, I – but, like, you know (laughs) – i still can't believe that happened That's, i can't i'm believe- sorry that was Dude, funny. I, I actually thought i was that guy no i was not very confident that start. my shoulder was falling apart I, I knew how that was gonna go but in all seriousness like you mentioned have fun right like that applies i think to a lot like any level like if you're not enjoying playing baseball you're doing it wrong, man. Like if you're if you're miserable playing high school or college baseball, like look, if you're major playing, you're miserable doing it, but you're making a bunch of money and that's why you're doing it, sure, fine. Like cool for you, like make your money. I get it. So it's Technically it's an occupation, you're getting paid. Go do it. Like for whatever reason you wanna play baseball, if it's monetary, go do it. But if you're at the college or the high school level, you're probably not making money. I know there's NIL stuff, but let's be real. You're probably not making money doing it, right? It's probably costing you a fortune to do it. Have fun with it. Travel ball, whatever you're doing enjoy baseball. Like I I miss playing baseball. I do. I'm not good. I would not play at the college. I don't have the time commitment for it. I I mean, the big thing is I'm not good enough. Right. But time commitment to do it is not there. Right. Like when you grow up, those time commitments, you know, those, you cannot allot the time you would to say, Hey, let me just go join a men's league or something like that. That doesn't exist when you get older right? like those, your, your responsibilities pile up. I, 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 I mean, living on my own's taught me responsibilities pile up, man. Like one day you're like, all right, I got a free day. And you're like, oh, I got to clean the kitchen. Got to do some laundry, man. I'm running a little, like I, I go to my fridge. I'm like, man, I'm running a little water. I gotta go get more water. Like that's another thing I'm gonna have to do tomorrow. Like I have to do that tomorrow. I have to go do my laundry tomorrow. I have to go. These are all things I actually have to do tomorrow. All uh, these, <laughs> I, I have to, you know, re-clean my kitchen again tomorrow. Like you have to do that very often. Right. Um, You know, I. The big thing is you don't have those time allotments. You know, if you're working a job and you're going to school, you can't do that. Like, those are things you cannot do. You can't just go decide to play baseball for fun. Enjoy the time when you can. In high school, when you have when you play baseball because you're just playing it and you're having fun, enjoy it, right? Um, Don't feel like you have to kill yourself after every, like you have to like rip yourself apart after every bad start or every bad outing, every bad at bat. I wish I didn't do that. I wish I kind of let myself let go and kind of move on, right? I wish I wasn't, you know... I wish I didn't walk home from that aforementioned bad, bad and just in, in an undescribably bad mood. I wish I enjoyed the fact that I was pitching a little bit more. I wish I didn't go out and pitch scared. If I pitched with a little bit more of like, Hey, I'm getting an opportunity to pitch. None of this matters. It's high school baseball. This is not like, we're not winning the championship or I'm not a championship caliber, pitcher. I'm not going to go out there and, you know, pitch in the playoffs and, and start a big game. Like this is a normal game that I could just have fun in. Go do that. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Um, go be the best player you can be. Uh, be in a situation where you're comfortable. All these things matter. Like end of the day, if you're playing baseball and you're miserable doing it, or you're putting yourself in a position where you're miserable to play baseball, you're, you're, it defeats the purpose. No, like that. What's the point at that point? Yeah. Make sure you're you're still playing well either. Yeah. If you're, if you're no
0: longer having fun with it, you need to stop. Yeah. You just need you need to step away from the game. Like you should always have fun playing baseball. It's I do. I think this is a good ending point of everything. Like we talk about this stuff on this podcast. We consume baseball because we love it and we have fun with it. Like, personally speaking, I don't spend as much time as I do, which is a lot of time on baseball because I'm like, yeah, this is my job. No, I do it because I love it. Like, I love this stuff, man. Like, this is a great sport. I deeply, deeply enjoy talking about baseball. I deeply enjoy watching baseball. I deeply enjoy coaching baseball. I loved playing baseball. It's a great sport. And, you know, I, I really... Want to make sure that if you're listening to this and you are a high school recruit, like you really should take to home the fact that it's it's meant to be fun, and if you're not having fun, we need to find something different. Um, one final point: I can't decide on the NLC Young Race, damn it! So I'm just not going to talk about it tonight. Uh, <laughs> I just I can't I can't do it. I'm, it's I'm, so impossible. It's, it's impossible. Like I think we're we're both web boys. We're web dogs right now. Um,
1: but Ryan Weber, right now, you just made me miss Ryan. Ryan Weber. Held the like that, did
0: he get Tommy John?
1: Is that what happened to him? I don't know. He, you know, what Ryan Weber would be Ryan Weber deserves Al Sion votes. I, I, you know, what fine, what a, what, a, uh, what a dog. Remember when he got that save Dude, I he was I was at a game where Rizzo walked it off and Weber came in after Schmidt and just shoved. Like he just threw like three innings or four innings of one run ball against the Rays. And I hadn't seen the Yankees win like a decade. So Ryan Webb in person, which is incredible considering how good they are and how frequently I went to games. I might be cursed, man. I might have to just like, baseball might not just be my thing.
0: Like, you know, this podcast- After we just meant saying, like, yeah, oh, we love pod- doing this and everything.
1: <laughs> you know what? Maybe this podcast episode is, maybe Ryan shouldn't watch baseball. Maybe he, you know what? That that might be the, I'm, I'm joking, obviously. I'm going to continue to watch baseball every single day. Um, um Great point. Yeah, no, like, I, no one, the NL Young race, I can't figure it out. Whoever gonna... wins wins, man. Like yeah, I, I, I I'm not e- I can't be mad, dude. I don't even have it in me to be mad if Snell
0: wins. That's a lie. That's a little bit. I, I have a, I have a little, I have a little bit in me to be mad if Snell wins. I just have to hope that Logan Webb, like, if he goes three more starts of eight innings in one run, give him the goddamn award. Like, it'd be you'd be foolish not to, in my opinion, dude. If
1: he finishes the year with like 210 innings, pit. No, he could finish with way more because he, he might have two more starts. If he though. finishes,
0: so he's got three more starts. I'd, oh, he's has got three. If potentially, potentially three more starts, but two of them are against the Dodgers. Oh, no. And the other's against San Diego. Oh, so his his strength is scheduled to yeah. end the year. Not that great, but like, I need him. I need him to power through, man. Like, that's if, my guy. That's if my If he goes I need him seven. to dominate. If he
1: goes, let's say he goes six, seven, six. I mean, think you're facing the Dodgers twice. Six innings is like I'm not saying it's the best you can do, but like it's the Dodgers, and you, you're playing for the playoffs. They might manage aggressively, whatever it may yeah, be. It's, it's
0: you assume he he's at 201 right now. He throws 19 more innings that put him at 220. Let's say getting close to that. Correct, and let's say he has like a 3.18 ERA, a three point sub 3.2 with 220 innings. Like he'd end the year with like 40 more innings than Blake Snell. You can't ignore that volume. Ah, whatever. I'm not, we're not going to go deeper into it because I'm, I'm just going to get frustrated. Uh, thank you very much for joining me again tonight, Ryan. Uh, I had a very good discussion with you about all sorts of things. I'm glad that we got to finally kind of take a little bit of a break from Major League Baseball and talk about recruiting and just facets of it. We'll probably do more talks about recruiting. Hopefully we get some college coaches on to kind of speak to their experiences and maybe we can get some other guys on uh, as well. But, you know, thank you very much for listening again. As always, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. You know, we hope to see you again sometime soon. Uh, Have a great rest of your week.